Welcome to Knowledge on the Go, the podcast brought to you by the PI Collaboratives team at Vizient. I'm Latami Marks, Performance Improvement Program Director here at Vizient and your host for this podcast. Today in part one of three series related to clinical supply integration or CSI, we are going to dive deeper into the use of clinical evidence decision making. As a brief background, clinical supply integration can be defined as an ongoing interdisciplinary strategy used to inform decision-making to optimize utilization of products or services while eliminating harm, improving outcomes, and lowering costs. In the Vizient CSI model, there are four performance domains, engagement, insights, process, and knowledge. In today's podcast, we will discuss the knowledge domain, which focuses on understanding peer-reviewed clinical literature and peer-to-peer evaluation of clinical variation related to product selection to enable informed decisions. This domain is one of the hardest areas for hospitals to implement successfully because organizations find it challenging to systematically use the clinical evidence, supporting data, and in-house product assessments to drive supply decisions. Today, we are talking with Joe Cummings to gain his insights on evidence-based technology assessments in support of undergoing work in the knowledge domain. Joe is the technology program director here on the Vizian PI Collaboratives team, where his role is to help members identify and evaluate high-impact, innovative emerging technologies that they can use within their performance improvement initiatives. Welcome, Dr. Cummings. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Let's start with the big picture first. We know that we should be using clinical evidence to drive supply decisions, but what do you mean by clinical evidence? To me, the clinical evidence just means anything with clinical data, with that data being derived using scientific methods. Thus, clinical evidence can be defined as clinical data that has the properties of being objective and transparent and reproducible. And some examples of clinical evidence include things like published clinical studies, evidence-based clinical practice guidelines, meta-analyses and systematic reviews, and even modeling type of studies. Now that we have established what clinical evidence is, and you've provided some examples, where do healthcare organizations begin, meaning where should they look to find the clinical evidence to support CSI? My first stop in the evidence gathering process is a systematic literature search in PubMed, which is the bibliographic database of clinical literature from the National Library of Medicine. In PubMed, I'll do a search using different keywords, filters, and limits. And then I start compiling the studies and then reiterating the search using different various combinations until I am sure that I have uncovered all of the available published clinical evidence. I really can't emphasize enough how critical being thorough in your literature search is to the CSI process, because if you don't do this step right and say you miss a key study, there's nothing that's going to kill your credibility faster and maybe even kill your CSI program. You really need to do this step methodically and rigorously. So besides PubMed, what other sources could you use? Well, some other sources that I regularly use include the FDA website, clinicaltrials.gov, which is a website that lists all the registered clinical trials. Then I usually also search the relevant professional societies' websites. I also look for international technology assessments from various organizations. 
because if there's already a recent technology assessment out there, then I don't have to recreate the wheel, so to speak. Similarly, some hospitals might have subscriptions to some of the various third-party tech assessment organizations, so they can check them to see if they have a lit review or a tech assessment on the technology. And finally, I always search payer policies because these typically also use an evidence review as part of their process. Wow, you've definitely given me some sources that I hadn't even thought about. So what about conference proceedings? I'd say maybe. If it's a really newly emerging technology and there isn't much in the way of fully published material, then this may be all you have to work with, right? But again, these have some serious limitations because they're preliminary and not peer-reviewed. And sometimes the findings even change by the time they're finalized and published in a journal. So there's this concept or term called gray literature. Can you tell us what gray literature is and how this can be useful? Gray literature is all of the types of info that you can find published, but outside of traditional medical journals and academic sources. I might use the gray literature as background material for a report, but it's not a source I'd probably quote in a literature search. Just because it's written on the internet doesn't make it true. For example, I think one of the things I noted over and over again during the COVID pandemic is that you probably shouldn't rely on the news media as a very reliable source of information. So I sometimes call using the gray literature webidence-based medicine as opposed to evidence-based medicine because these technology decisions may just be based on something somebody read somewhere on the internet. It seems like literature searching is kind of an art form Who at the hospital should really be performing this? This step is going to be hard and time consuming. So ideally, you have a dedicated person whose full-time job is to conduct the literature reviews and summarize the findings for whatever committee it is. This person should probably have a research background, for example, like a master's or PhD, or maybe some other kind of experience conducting clinical trials and writing up publications. And if you don't have a dedicated person, you might be relying on the technology requester or even worse, the manufacturer to provide the lit review. This is bad because then you're going to lose the thoroughness of the process and you're also going to lose objectivity. So as far as the hospital CSI process goes, in my mind, having this dedicated person to do the lit search is really a benchmark to shoot for. Once you have found all the literature and you have a stack of relevant studies, what's the next step? You're going to need to read the studies, analyze the results, and then overall rate the evidence for strength. So for rating the strength of the evidence, there are some pretty well-established evidence-based medicine rules, mostly based on common sense, like randomized trials are stronger than non-randomized trials, or prospective trials are going to be stronger than retrospective trials, and so forth and so on. For this, you might also use one of the various evidence grading scales that are out there. I like to use the grade system, but they're all kind of similar in that you eventually end up with placement of the evidence or the study into some kind of category like ABC or or strong, moderate, and weak. Say we have graded our evidence for strength, but how strong is strong enough? That is a key question. If you ask some of the evidence-based medicine experts out there, they'd say you need a really well-done randomized controlled trial that has statistically significant results, and without that, you can't recommend a technology. But practically speaking, we really don't have randomized trials for half of the stuff that we do in medicine. I tend to take a more pragmatic approach. I like to consider things like the anticipated clinical benefit from the technology, Is it small or large? The risk of patient harm and also the financial implications. That is, will the hospital lose money if they use it? 
my thinking, if the potential benefit's large and it's relatively safe and the financials are neutral or even favorable, I'd settle for a weaker form of evidence, like maybe an unbiased large case series with good results. I think ultimately, how strong is strong enough is really going to be up to the hospital decision-making committee. And then it'll be based on maybe their own unique strategic plan, their own resources, their payer and patient populations, and other factors like that. What I'm hearing you say that it really should be customized within each organization. Yeah, I think that ultimate decision on is the evidence strong enough will be unique based on the hospital's own unique circumstances. That's right. It sounds like CSI programs really need to think about how they will deal with the request for technologies with weak or no evidence, would you say? Most definitely. It's typically the case that with rigorous adherence to evidence-based medicine, you can stifle new innovative technologies I'd say for most hospitals, I think it's okay for them to be an early adopter as long as they go into it with their eyes wide open, knowing that the evidence is limited. Because of that, you're going to be accepting some risks that it could be a bad decision. For the more risk-averse institutions, they might want to just wait for the evidence to mature, and then they can be ready to adopt in the early majority phase rather than the early adopter phase. But again, you don't want to wait too long because if the technology eventually becomes the standard of care for whatever that procedure is, it's not going to be good healthcare or good business to be one of the last ones to implement it. We have touched on some of the financial considerations in the CSI process, but would you say there are any defining benchmarks for a CSI program regarding financial analysis? Yeah, I think the really mature CSI program has a means to focus on value in their process, to put the value in value analysis, so to speak. I like to think of this value paradigm as hospitals should be buying outcomes, not devices, which just means that they are not focused on the device and the bells and the whistles per se, but they should only care about the effect that these have on outcomes, things like morbidity, mortality, quality life, or length of stay. To do this kind of value-based decision-making, I just point out that you can't even begin to do it if you haven't first done the systematic evidence review, because you really need that evidence to quantify the magnitude of the outcomes. Then you can compare the quantified outcomes relative to the total costs of care to determine the value. I'd also just add that this kind of value thinking, it fits really well into the new value-based care type reimbursement paradigms that we're really seeing gaining traction these days. Just being able to do this kind of analysis is going to be really important for hospital survival in the near future. But again, to do it, hospitals are probably going to need to change their thinking because this is fundamentally very different from traditional value analysis, where we usually just consider the direct technology costs versus the direct reimbursement. I like your phrase, Purchasing outcomes, that is an interesting term because it really allows the organizations to think about leading with the end in mind and considering the overall outcomes, really shifting the focus and allows organizations to take a holistic approach when making decisions. Yeah, definitely. It's all about the bottom line outcomes and being more holistic. For example, you shouldn't even be thinking about all of those intermediate outcomes Like, how does it affect a certain lab value? It doesn't really matter what the lab value is unless that ultimately translates into something more tangible, like adverse events or functional gain, readmissions or survival or something like that. Any last words of advice for those hospitals struggling with incorporating evidence-based data in their CSI programs? 
the key concept to remember is to just be systematic. And the system needs to be transparent and objective. And you need to rigorously follow the system for all technology requests so that everyone knows that this is the way it's done at this hospital and the hospital administration fully supports this decision-making process. Doing CSI is going to require some resources up front to make it work. But in the end, I really think that by making some good technology decisions, the CSI paradigm is really going to pay for itself many times over. So being transparent and staying objective and really allowing the data to lead your decisions are all good advice. I know some of the hospitals and systems who participated in our CSI benchmarking study were able to successfully integrate the use of the clinical evidence into our CSI program. So we know it can be done. It can be done. And like you, I've seen some hospitals that do it really well. Thanks again to Dr. Cummings for speaking with us today and to you for listening. Just a reminder that there will be more podcasts on CSI coming soon. So please join us for more Knowledge on the Go podcast. You can subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments at picollaboratives at visientinc.com. We encourage you to keep the conversation going. And as it continues, remember to put your knowledge into action. Until next time, I'm LaTammy Marks. Marks.